The following is a hoop ball presentation. Of Ramble Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. Follow me on Twitter at Corbin MBA. Make sure to check out Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets. Online hoop ball.com. Great content going on. We're on day two, going on day three by the time y'all listen to this of the NBA season. Hoopball has everything you need. We got a full Discord with yours truly manning the NBA chat. So definitely make sure to tune in there and give up your hottest of takes. Um, also, we have a partnership with Manscaped going on right now, so definitely check them out at manscaped.com. The promo code is HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. One more time, y'all. That's HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. This is at manscaped.com. All right, housekeeping is done with, over with, and we are rocking today. I enjoyed my good friend, Anarud. Just going to break down, you know, the first two days of the NBA season. First off, though, Anarud, how you doing, bro? Uh, just reeling and shocked from whatever that Knicks and Celtics game was. That oh, was my God. Intense. Dude, but, that was yeah, so dude, great. Dude, I'm, I, you see, I can barely contain it. That game was so much fun. And you were texting, we were texting, and I, was, I couldn't even respond in time. I was just blown away by, like, wow, this was it was a monster, but let's 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 start with um, we got to start with um, the, the the number one big story here, which is just day one of the NBA season. So I ask you, uh, Anarud, what was your big takeaways from the first two games? Uh, Nets versus Bucks, Warriors versus Lakers, Ring Night, uh, just all of that. What, what, how did how did you react to that? Uh, biggest takeaway is Jordan Poole is the newest Splash Brother. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that dude's gonna be a problem. But uh, I think the Nets, they kind of came out pretty sloppy. It felt like a lot of their guys weren't getting back in transition. And it just didn't feel like they were going full out. And the Bucks, on the other hand, just played it like it was a regular game and put full effort. Giannis was awesome. Everyone was just playing well. Uh, Drew Holiday got hurt. You kind of hope that something serious. I think it was just a heel contusion. But yeah, you got it. Overall, the Nets, their front court still worries me. Like, they got destroyed on the glass. And when you're playing Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Nick, Nick Claxton, who are all kind of small compared to, like, Brooke Lopez, Giannis, you're going to need to figure out a way to match up against them. And they tried, like, getting up and trying to have everyone else rebound. They put Harden on Giannis for a call possession, which is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it really is. I think some of the idea of that was putting him there because Giannis was posting up pretty efficiently. And we know that Harden is a sneaky, effective post defender, but just out in space, especially in certain possessions, it, it was kind of jarring. And I, I understand the Nets uh, trying to promote their flexibility and thinking that Harden can kind of stay out there, but it, it was still a mismatch and kind of weird one at that. Patty Mills, though, the man's a sniper. He's playing like it's Australia, and 
don't know what Steve Nash told him, but that man is on fire. He just kept railing in threes. Yeah. No, he was seven of seven from three, seven of 11 in total from the field. Um, he literally set a record um, for the Nets and most threes off the bench and tied um, most threes um, in the debut. Uh, just the NBA record. It was just really, really solid for him. He actually scored the only bench points that Brooklyn had that game because uh, Paul Millsap did not take a shot in his minutes on the floor. LaMarcus Aldridge did, and you kind of wish he didn't, <laughs> um, you know, going uh, one of four from the field. No, one of four from the free throw line, oh, two from the field. It was a rough game for anyone not really named um, Kevin Durant, James Harden, or Patty Mills. Uh, to a lesser extent, Nick, Nick Claxton as well. Yeah, Nick Claxton is probably just going to get fed a bunch from James Harden, who is kind of fitting in nicely. I was surprised that they didn't start Patty Mills. Yeah. Um, I thought for I thought they might do that just to have a point guard play next to Harden, but they started Harden and they brought Patty Mills off the bench. I thought that was smart. And then just in general, like this bench, Patty Mills is good, but – I'm a little concerned about the lack of scoring from other guys on the bench, but it's a first game. I'm not too worried. No, no, I agree. It's, it's nothing too crazy about that in general when you look at it. Um, just something to be mindful of moving forward. You know that they're, you know, fixing their rotations and getting things going. Um, and it's going to be – it remains to be seen how Brooklyn does it in, in a 10-man rotation with the lamps they have and how they best utilize them, you know? Yeah. But I, I will say the- – huh? The, the Lakers game. I was about to say, this going morning. to the Lakers game, give me your thoughts, man, because um, as a Russell Westbrook fan, the Lakers fan, th- this was kind of uh, kind of disappointing. Yeah, I mean, so positives first. AD and LeBron look great. Um, AD was a monster defensively, and just overall, those two, any worries about injuries, they look fine right now. Um then to the negatives. I mean, like Carmelo was okay scoring, but mm-hmm. defensively you saw why he was an issue. Malik Monk provided a little bit of a punch, but Russell Westbrook, I think it's just going to take some time. Like I'm not too concerned just because the three superstars who are all like pretty intelligent, they'll figure it out eventually. And Westbrook, this is his first game. So everyone seems to have like a really bad game when their first meeting with a new super team, not even a super team, just like meeting with other superstars yeah. with them. So I'm not too worried. Um, I want to see a little more uh, staggering of Westbrook and LeBron's minutes. Okay. Just because yeah. I think it's easier to have them both not on the floor at the same time. That's true. That's true. And it makes a lot of sense not having to kind of deal with the two kind of running into each other in that way. Right. Yeah, and, like, both can run an offense, so Westbrook running, like, a bench unit would be great if you want to bench him, but you're not going to do that. So just spacing them out a little more and letting them kind of run their own show, it's always going to be great. And Westbrook, like, we've always wanted him to be a cutter. He hasn't really shown that in a while, but he's with LeBron now, so maybe he can start developing that. It's possible. I, I will say one thing I don't want to see with Russ is him lined up with the minutes alongside Roger Rondo. That was just 
not a good mix. It, it makes either Rondo or Westbrook have to play the role of an off-ball shooter, of which neither is suited for. I think, obviously, Rondo a little bit more than Westbrook, but that's really not saying a whole lot when you look at their shooting numbers historically. Um, yeah, how do you put the both on the floor at the same time? I, that's where I'm more concerned. Sense. Exactly. You brought up some kind of uh, concerns or issues with the Nets rotation. Now, I'm looking at Los Angeles. I mean, how are you going to best optimize Russell Westbrook when you do uh, when you run a lineup with him uh, alongside Kent Bazemore, which is fine. Then, of course, LeBron and AD. But then you put in um, um, DJ alongside them. That doesn't make any sense to me. Having DeAndre Jordan there cramps the spacing. It doesn't optimize the freedom of the floor in a spaced format that can allow Westbrook to get to the rim. You know, it's just not a, a good use of your own resources as a team. And then when you bring in Rondo off the bench and have him staggered alongside Westbrook, what are you doing? Neither of those guys are three-point shooters like that. Yes, you know, Westbrook will definitely take them. And yes, when Rondo takes them, he's usually making them because it is such a low volume. But still, that's just not their games. Like, I'm not really sure what of that made sense for them. You're not utilizing Westbrook's ability to run open the floor, in the open floor, because um, Rondo's a little more deliberate, although he can break out as well. And you're not optimizing Rondo because if he's not on ball, he's not really that much of a threat. Yes, he's shot a lot better from three over the past three years, but not enough still that you go, uh-uh, close out on Rondo. And that's not happening. And I think those minutes were largely lost. And, well, I think they were minus seven or something in those. It was, it was rough. It wasn't – it didn't make any sense. Yeah, and I'm surprised they didn't play a couple guys like Kendrick Nunn, THT, Wayne Ellington, just some more floor spacing, potentially. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, they they probably would have. Um, it's just that all those guys are in some capacity or another injured. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Th- that, so oh, no, it's fine. Case. No, no, I know. Yeah, TA, um, THT won't play until uh, like just around Christmas time. He'll come in around the same time that um, – that um, Trevor Reza, who had that ankle surgery, will come in. And then Kenny okay. Nunn is still, yeah, he's still, those guys are still out, Wayne Ellington as well. So, and, and that gives me some little bit of a pushback because ideally you wouldn't see a Rondo Westbrook lineup if you did have those guys healthy. But like, my thinking is this, and I think you agree on it, Rude. You shouldn't see that anywhere. They had enough guys that a Rondo Westbrook backcourt for any stretch of the game didn't have to happen. Yeah, for sure. You, you had. Malik Monk out there and Avery Bradley, like you could bring those guys out. Also, I just love the fact that they brought out Avery Bradley just to stop Jordan Poole. You know, it's funny. I love that. I mean, literally the little history of him being on that team, not even what, 72 hours before that. Exactly. It's hilarious to me. You know, the fact that uh, it was reported that both Steph Curry and Draymond wanted to keep him on the team. And then you're like, you know what? Who else has stopped Jordan Poole than the guy who's been trying to get after him all training camp, all preseason long? Let's bring him in. He knocked down some threes. He made a great play to um, um, AD off the pick and roll in a design play that obviously showed some institutional knowledge that he had from the Lakers uh, championship days back in 2020. Like, it, it, it's, it, it got back together. If the defense had held just a little bit more, you know, maybe the Lakers would have restored some order. But to be fair, that entire game, I think we both agree, you know, it was really the Lakers kind of staying in front because the Warriors were missing shots, not because their defense was that good. Their offense was doing just enough. And then offense ran out of gas, defense had too many holes, and the rest kind of history for Golden State. Yeah, as a whole, they didn't really shoot that well. I mean, Steph was – I mean, he's Steph, so you're still going to respect him, but he was only two out of eight for three. And Jordan Poole was four out of 11, but, like, he was just such a good scorer and playmaker that he was running some of the second units, and they could afford to rest Steph Curry and Draymond a lot more than usual. 
They definitely could have. They definitely could have. And, and now uh, it remains to be seen. I think LA's next game is against Phoenix. Uh, we'll talk about them actually in a second here. That should be fun. Um, and then look at where Golden State goes. I think they play the Clippers tomorrow night. So, or tonight, actually, my fault. So that'll be interesting as well. But um, going. I also f- like um, um, Nemanja Bielica. I thought. Like, oh my god. Showing. Yes. Just he was kind of misused in Sacramento, where they kind of just use him as a sports facing kid. But he's a solid playmaker. He can do stuff at the elbows. And Jordan Poole and him, they had a nice connection. They were just scoring and getting everything done. Yeah. His ability to handle the ball and make plays is something they kind of came to the NBA with. It hadn't been used and in some cases marginalized, like you said, in Sacramento, later in Miami. But to have him in this Golden State system where he's able to kind of utilize some of that again, it's nice. And you saw it made a, a pretty good impact. He was in the closing lineup with Draymond Green. It was really good to see that for him, for sure. And he definitely showed up and showed out. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So going now to day two, which would be last night, y'all. Um, I think I kind of grouped this in a little bit, of a few ways. I wanted to kind of tackle. We had just a huge slate of games. Um, it felt like everyone that didn't play on Tuesday, of course, played on Wednesday. We call that the real opening night. Um, but what I wanted to do is kind of group these games from blowouts to close ones to the game of the night. I think we both agree what game that is, but I want to start with the blowouts. I'm going to just run through the scores uh, and then the stat line, the top stat lines for uh, both squads. And then after I'm done, I want you to kind of react to whichever one you think is the most interesting on a route and we'll kind of go into it. But um, the Denver Nuggets beat the Phoenix Suns 110 to 98. Nikola Jokic had double-double, 27 points, 13 rebounds, only two assists, uh, but it's fine because the Nuggets as a team are really moving the ball around pretty well. Aaron Gordon had four assists. Michael Porter Jr. had five, five assists for Will Barton, three for Monte Morris, uh, four for, for Facundo Campazzo. Uh, the ball's getting bounced around. Everyone's getting a little bit of the rock. So it didn't really matter that Nicole Jokic was more of a play finisher than a playmaker. For Phoenix, Chris Paul led the way, 15 points, uh, four rebounds, 10 assists. Starting off, the Suns, I think, were pretty solid on. Uh, you can tell that DeAndre Ayton came out with the edge, but they definitely cooled down a little bit, although several players finished in double digits. Just the stat lines, how they got to those points, wasn't particularly great. Um, moving on from that, uh, of course, we're going to go back to it, of course, with DeAndre but the Jazz kind of waltzed past the Thunder, 107-86. Rudy Gobert with the monster double-double, 16 points, 20 rebounds was more than Shea Gilgis Alexander's 18 points, four rebounds, and two assists. Uh, the Spurs just ran rough shot over the Orlando Magic, 123 to 97. Jakob with the unique oddest stat line of the night 12 points, 13 rebounds, and seven assists. Almost messed around and got a triple double from that center spot. I don't know. He might be the Spurs' young core piece. Just kidding. Uh, Mo Bamba for the Magic pretty much did everything for them, uh, which is saying a lot because of how bad they were. 18 points, four rebounds, four assists. Then the 76 ran over the Pelicans, 117 to 97. Uh, Tobias Harris had 20 points and 12 rebounds, but he paced an attack that had a lot of people uh, contributing at 22 points for Joel Embiid. Uh, you had 20 points for Seth Curry. Um, a lot of guys were, I'm sorry, 20 points for Tyrese Maxey, rather. 22 points for Forkan Korkmaz, who definitely went off from three. Uh, everyone kind of got a little bit of everything there. A lot more of a balanced attack. We'll see how the 76 adjust once Ben Simmons is back in the picture. Timberwolves beat the Rockets 124 to 106. Crown the Towns monster double double 30 points, 10 rebounds, two assists. Uh, it was a it was a monster game. Anthony Edwards 
got hot, made six threes at one point, made one, and looked at Steven Silas and motioned him to take a timeout. Uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, then you had the Wizards being the Raptors 98 to 83 behind Montrose Howell, 22 points and nine boards. The, the Wizards were actually up by as much as 29 in that game. Uh, and then the last game here, uh, before we throw to Anarud to react, the Grizzlies beat the Cavs 132 to 121. Evan Mobley, 17 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Pretty good. But John Moran had 37 points, six rebounds, and six assists. A monster dunk. It was a mess. The Grizzlies romped the Cavs. And, you know, with all that being said, these are the games that, you know, were kind of out of reach. I left two games to kind of dive into a little bit later here. But Anarud, looking at all these, um, what were your thoughts on, you know, just some of what you were able to look at? So one of the games you didn't mention was the Hornets Pacers game, which was oh yeah, I was waiting for that. Yep. Okay. Good. And good. We can go into that. It was an interesting game. So the first half is pretty much all Sabonis. He's destroying the Hornets. They can't. They don't have the size to match him, and he's just punishing them. They try to double him. They'll kick it out. But and Chris Duarte, the rookie, was on fire. He Six balled. out of nine from three. He ended up with 27-5, and he was just ridiculous. He was not missing anything. I think you got to see what Carlisle was doing, just implementing a little more uh, movement in that offense and Mm -hmm. running stuff more through Sabotis at the elbows and letting Brogdon and uh, Justin Holiday and guys like come off the screens and just play out a little more. Uh, Miles Turner was solid defensively. And then Charlotte, third quarter. They just kick it up and decide we're going to win this game. LaMelo Ball has a fantastic game, 31-9-7, 7 of 9 for 3. Gordon Hayward was fantastic, especially in transition. He ends up with 27-5-3. and And overall, this is just an exciting game till the end, spurred by this Hornets comeback. Yeah, it, it was a crazy game. It did go down to the wire. Uh I mean, it was it got scrappy for sure. Uh, the Hornets, man, listen, they're starting five. I did not like the shooting on that, having Kelly Oubre in there um, alongside, of course, Miles Bridges, um, you know, Mason Plumlee, uh, LaMelo Ball. It just didn't seem like a really good unit for shooting, but they could get out and run and get after it. And then when they were in the open floor, this Hornets team is fun. Oh, this team is built to run. You've got LaMelo, who's one of the best passers in transition and just overall. Gordon Hayward's solid in transition. Miles Bridges will fly. Uh, Kelly Oubre is great in transition. And Plumlee is moving. So this team will try to get in transition. Uh, that bench unit, especially creation, I mean, Ish Smith is serviceable, but they're really showing that you don't have Terry Rozier or James Booknight. Those guys are going to really help with that. But this Hornets team is a little feisty, and I like it. No, they definitely are. Um, and it's going to be a fun team to watch, really just a monitor moving forward. I don't know if playoff aspirations are really in their, in their long-term future, but at the same time, this is kind of cool in terms of just seeing the immediate impact that LaMelo Ball has. But all these thoroughbreds that are just able to get out there and finish it around the basket, um, you know, have that fun style of basketball. And games like this, they're tight. They're exciting. You know, PJ Washington uh, had the clutch free throws to really seal the deal uh, as it got really tight down there in the finish. But really fun game overall. Another close game. He interesting. Some huh? Great defense on Sabonis. He did, especially the last play. Yep, he, making like, sure he didn't he turn baseline. Guys, but yep. it was just 
great positioning and battling in the post. It was fantastic. It really was. It really was. Like you said, he forced Sabonis into tough shots. Even that last second shot forced him into a fadeaway, um, made sure to kind of play uh, off of the foot that he wanted to turn into to kind of take that away from him. Really, really solid from him for sure. I, I wish they started with P.J. Washington at the five, but I think over the season, they'll come to their senses, them being the James Brago and the Hornets uh, coaching staff. As good as Mason Plumlee is at the center spot, I think P.J. Tucker, I mean P.J. Tucker, P.J. Washington is really where it's at. But Going from that to another interestingly close game, uh, behind 34 points, seven rebounds, and four assists, the Chicago Bulls beat the Detroit Pistons 94 to 88, uh, offsetting Jeremy Grant's 24 points and six boards. Uh, I thought the the Bulls would score a lot more. I mean, ultimately, Nikola Vucevic did have a great game, seven of 21. Zach Levine, though, 11 of 17. DeMar DeRozan, 8 of 17, including a three-pointer, 17.7 boards, two assists. Lonzo Ball didn't have the greatest of shooting nights, but his numbers didn't look too bad either, 12.6 rebounds, four assists. Uh, what did you think about the debut of the Chicago Bulls' big three? It's not the three alphas, that's for sure, but um, definitely an interesting mix. Yeah, I thought they, they moved the ball pretty well, and they took advantage of Levine off the ball, and I like that. I was worried that they would kind of just leave him with the ball in his hands too long. But overall, they were pretty balanced. I mean, defensively, yeah, there's a lot of questions there. But Patrick Williams looked solid. Um, He didn't take any threes in the game, but I expect him to start shooting a little more. Uh, DeRozan finally took a three. That was good to see. And Vucevic was just a presence on the glass. And against Detroit, where you're playing – Isaiah Stewart and Jeremy Grant is kind of your back or your front court. Mm-hmm. He's much is bigger than all of them, and he'll grab up every board. No, he definitely will. He's someone that's dominant um, in terms of taking up space. And, you know, ultimately he didn't have the greatest of shooting games. I think the worst shooting game, especially from a big, um, we have to go back to the Pelicans because uh, one, Jonas Valanciunas, who, by the way, Jonas made some news yesterday, again, uh, with David Griffin, and I know we were talking about this in terms of signing guys to contracts, extensions, before they haven't even played a game. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas did reach a two-year, $30 million extension with the Pelicans, so he's no longer a free agent that can come off the books this year. He will be with his team for the next two seasons, and he went and rewarded the Pelicans' trust in him with that contract with a performance. Wait for it. He had nine points and 12 rebounds on three of 19 shooting. Now, this isn't guard Jonas Valanciunas. This isn't forward Jonas Valanciunas. He does not take a lot of threes. He was one of three from three. There's a guy who is a big who plays a lot around the basket, and he finished three of 19 from the field. Anarud, any reaction to that? Yeah, the Pelicans as a whole just kind of sucked this game. I did like some of the... I mean, I like some of the sets that Green was running. Just it looked a lot like he was taking stuff from the Warriors, but overall, they just kind of look really sloppy. You had Brandon Ingram, who was he was solid, but like nothing really great. Nikhil Alexander Walker was fantastic, and Devontae Graham was probably their best shooter out there, and he was four or six from three. And Overall, this team just looked kind of clunky. They like they haven't figured it out yet. And I think down the stretch they really haven't. They were definitely disjointed throughout. Um, they 
just in general, 13 of 30 from three isn't super bad considering, you know, how maligned they were for not having good shooters. But um, a lot of it really came from Devontae Graham and and, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Of the Pelicans' 13 threes, eight of those came from Alexander-Walker and Graham. That was it. So uh, the distribution was definitely weird. And it's going to be a little weird while you don't have Zion there to soak up a lot of usage and be a lot more efficient there. But at the same time, I mean, Brandon Ingram had 25 points on 26 shots. That's not super great. You know, Jonathan Shunas already had that clunker. Nikhil Alexander-Walker actually did pretty decent. And I'd say the same for Devontae Graham. But they're just they're just kind of weird a team right now. Yeah, this team just, they're going to need some time to figure it out. But on the other hand, the Sixers, I do want to talk about them. All right. A bench duo. Of Matisse Thibel and Furkan Korkmaz was one of the most fun things to watch. You had yes. Thibel just grabbing, intercepting any pass, and immediately throwing to Furkan, who would just shoot it. No hesitation, and he was on fire. It, it, he was. He was. Uh, there's been jokes all over Twitter uh, showing uh, Ben Simmons like in the picture with like Korkmaz in the back, just in, innocuously doing something else. And it's like, he's been waiting for this moment the entire time. And it's hilarious to think about like He has been plotting and planning for just this moment. And you laugh because he performed and he's done performances like this before. You know, I don't know if this is something he can do consistently, but hey, we might find out here soon enough. Yeah, when he gets hot, he'll, he'll let it go. And he's a great guy to have. Danny Green was a interesting stat line of zero everything, <laughs> one field goal attempt. Yep, that was it. It was a three, and it was off. Three fouls, but somehow a plus 11. I mean, Not Danny somehow. Green's the kind of guy you just want on your team. He's, exactly. He's a good team defender. He'll move the ball. He's just a solid guy. But Sixers, I, I would say – not much to tell without Simmons. I mean, I think you could see that their playmaking was a little bit lacking, but overall, I think they got it figured out with Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey, who looked pretty good for his starter debut. Yeah. And overall, the second unit is probably where I would have the most worrisome. But, yeah. but if Furkan Korkmaz is going to be a flamethrower for the next couple of weeks, he'll be a solid replacement. They'll be fine then, exactly. And for the and like you said, Tyrese Maxey, 20 points, seven rebounds, five assists, eight of 14 from the field, two three-pointers knocked down. Had a really good game for sure. Um, and, yeah, off the bench, I mean, guys were hot. Yang hit three threes. Korkmaz hit four, two apiece for Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey, and Joel Embiid. And, and there it is right there. That's a blistering 52% on 13 of 25 from three. So really solid there. Um, but turning our attention from that to uh, – one game that was really close, and then one game that was clearly the game of the night. We'll start with the close one. Uh, that was the Kings beating the Blazers 124 to 121. A career high 36 points for Harrison Barnes, tied for a career high. He did this in Dallas and a couple times as well. Um, nine rebounds, two assists, knocked down a bunch of threes, uh, eight of them to, to be exact out of 11. That was huge. Uh, Rashawn Holmes played well as well 21 points and 11 boards. 27 points, five rebounds, eight assists for Darren Fox, who still didn't shoot the three super great to an eight from there, but overall was able to get to the lane repeatedly. Uh, Buddy Hield, 17 points on nine shots. I call that efficient. Just a solid game from all of those guys. Uh, the Blazers did make a comeback. They were behind pretty much all game. They did scrap back to make it a game. 34 points for CJ McCollum, uh, along with six rebounds and five assists. 
You had 20 points and 14 boards for Yusef Nurkic. You had 14 points and five rebounds for Norman Powell. And then you had 20 points and 11 assists for Damian Lillard, who did not make a three. Oh, of nine from out there. Very, very ugly for one Damian Lillard. Yeah, Lillard just struggled with shooting the ball. And, I mean, he was still moving the ball. Well, CJ McCollum was on fire, though. Six of 11 from three. And he was kind of their go-to scorer this game. Oren Powell had it going a little bit. Covington isn't really much of an offensive threat. He'll shoot the occasional catch-and-shoot three. Nurkic was pretty solid, just moving the ball and being a presence on the glass. And their bench, I mean, Anthony Simons was good, but you, their bench was Simons, Larry Nance, Nasir Little, and Cody Zeller. That was a pretty small rotation. I'm surprised they didn't go 10 or 11 deep. I am too, especially for opening night. It's going to be interesting to rewatch this game, especially to kind of get a feel for how uh, new coach Chauncey Billups is going to work it. But it definitely was one that didn't go super deep. Like you said, all those guys who did come off the bench uh, between Little, Zeller, Nance, and Simons all played between 15 and 19 minutes a game, and that was it. Um, I mean, I definitely would have thought Greg Brown um, not Greg Brown. I mean, Greg Brown definitely would get some minutes this season, but definitely thought someone like a Ben McLemore would be able to get in, at least to make the three ball. Uh, not that the Trailblazers as a whole shot the three ball horribly. I mean, it was 34%, 12 or 35. But think about how that CJ McCullum accounted for six of those by himself. Damian Little didn't bring any. So that means you had one from Nasir Little, one from Anthony Simons, two from Robert Covington, one from Norman Powell, and one from Yusef Nurkic. Like the distribution of shots there, outside of the six for McCullum, it just doesn't work out. And then on Sacramento side, I guess we've got to talk about the Marvin Bagley thing. We do. Uh, his agents came out and had an interesting statement, talking about how he's not in the rotation at all for the Kings. And I'm a little surprised by that. I am too. I don't understand it. It seemed like there was a good vibes club up in Sacramento. I get that he's an opportunity for Sacramento, which he has over the last couple of years and between injuries or just playing in effect to play hasn't delivered exactly what they wanted. But like, I don't know. I thought it was kind of an overreaction much, especially when like his skill set I think would be needed. And I mean, you could definitely try out Tristan Thompson for minutes tonight, but like you would think that Marvin Bagley would give a different look, a more offensive minded look. Um, and again, it seemed like Bagley was committed. It seemed like the keys were all on it. So you go from that energy and like, okay, we're going to make this happen. And then you have this, this report all of a sudden, and then the comeback from his agent. Now you're back to that nasty, you know, bitter Sacramento vibes that you kind of have between these guys. And it's rough. It's unfortunate for real. Yeah. We just need OKC to take him and they'll turn him into a solid player. <laughs> OKC will yeah. just rehabilitate anyone at this point. I believe in them. You know they will. Uh, they're going to ask for a first-round pick or two, though, to begin with. Yeah, and Kings might do it. You know they just might. They just might. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go with that um, and, and Marvin Bagley's future moving forward. But going from that to the game of the night, this was a double overtime classic I can't wait to rewatch this game tomorrow. I thoroughly enjoyed the absolute mess out of this. The New York Knicks, the Boston Celtics, the Knicks hung on to win in a double overtime thriller, 138 to 134. There were 11 lead changes, 10 times the game was tied. The largest lead that the Knicks had was 11. The largest lead that Boston had was 12. 
Jalen Brown notched a career-high 46 points. Julius Randle scored 35 for New York. Evan Fournier scored 32 as well. This game had it all. You had the late-game drama. You had the intensity. You had the garden. It was a monster of a game to witness. Uh, just one of the great opening nights ever. Uh, with, by the way, a little bit of uh, history here, shout-out to fly-by-night Justin Russo on Twitter. Uh, the list of players in NBA history to make eight-plus three-pointers in a team's first game of the season. You have Terry Rozier from December 23rd, 2020. Then you have Jalen Brown from last night and Harrison Barnes as well from last night. That's it. That's the list. Uh, for Harrison Barnes, that's crazy. But looking at Jalen Brown, man, he came with it for 100%. And this is after overcoming COVID-19, playing 46 minutes after spending the last 10 days in quarantine. Yeah, I mean, going into this game, the worry was how was COVID going to affect Jalen Brown? And, I mean, he looks pretty damn good. Uh, totally obviously, we'll have to see if there's any lingering effects, but Tatum was one who was struggling at the beginning, not really shooting that well, but Brown had it going the entire time, and he was just solid. The Knicks, though, they were the ones who really impressed me because, one, that last second before, at the end of regulation, mm-hmm. I almost flipped out just because of how stupid it was. You go up to double Tatum, who's nowhere near the entry, and then <laughs> you don't foul anyone, and then Kemba just kind of like walks out of nowhere under the basket. I don't know, what are like. you doing? And it's just like, what are you doing? But they come back and they play hard, and they had some really nice sets where I like some of the out of out of bounds plays where they disguise a couple of Spain pick and rolls with handoffs, and it just – they were playing a solid game. And Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, RJ Bear, Julius Randle, they were just solid. They really were. I mean, that Knicks team, top to bottom, played extremely well. Loved the grit, loved the energy, loved the defensive intensity with a little more offensive punch. Like, I might have been way too low on these Knicks. I mean, this is just one game, so I don't want to overreact, but still. Uh, you had, of course, the big games, the big guns from Randle and Fournier who came out of nowhere. Uh coming up with a career high for him, 6-13 from three, 13-25 overall, six rebounds, three assists. You had nine points, four boards, and five assists from Derrick Rose. You had 10 points, eight boards, and three assists from Kemba Walker. Uh, Mitchell Robinson had 11 points and 17 huge rebounds. R.J. Barrett, great defense down the stretch on Jason Tatum, 19 points, five rebounds, two assists. Uh, up and down, these guys played well. Um, the guys I mentioned just, met, just mentioned did the bulk of it, but then again, Obi Toppin gave a big boost for New York. Uh, just some very, very beautiful finishes. Uh, a couple of nice dunks. 14 points. That's a career high for him. Five rebounds as well. Like, these guys played well. You said they were impressive top to bottom on both ends of the floor. And, yeah, they made some mishaps. And fatigue definitely hit them uh, toward the end of the first quarter and all the – I mean, toward the end of the first overtime and all the second overtime. But at that point, it was just a good old-fashioned battle of attrition. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks – I mean, like, Kemba Walker played 35 minutes, which I was kind of surprised that Tibbs didn't play many op- any, up to 45 minutes. But right. their uh, lineup with Randall and Toppin at the five, they were great in transition. They just kept letting it fly. And Toppin was just doing a great job of getting down there and fishing at the rim. And the Knicks' entire strategy was just get Robert Williams or Grant Williams in a switch and – go at them mm-hmm. and 
Celtics did a solid job of trying to keep it out eventually, but it was just harder for them. And I was surprised that Grant Williams got the start, but if Horford is out, then I guess you're going to need um, someone else to fill in that front court spot just because mm-hmm. Williams is a bit small. But I thought they would go with someone like Neesmith or even uh, Romeo Langford just to bring in uh, – Bring in, bring in a different look, kind of. Yeah. For sure. I huh? thought Grant Williams would – I never thought he would be a starter. I thought he was going to come off the bench. I'm surprised Cantor didn't play or Willie Hernan Gomez. Yeah, I mean, Cantor I get for the defensive issues. Willie Hernan Gomez, I'm not sure why not, especially as the size probably would have been helpful. Um, but you're right, it definitely didn't come to pass. Um, interesting choices by – M.A. Udoka so far uh, in his first game, but I'm sure over time we'll kind of grow into this as well as trying to figure out kind of what rotation works. Maybe he didn't want to work it out, um, kind of mix it up too much with Al Horford being out and where he would fit, but definitely some intrigue there. But that game, man, describe your reaction just with these big shots, especially with the first minute of overtime. Uh, the team, neither team wanted to miss. It was just crazy. Like, I wasn't expecting the big game of the night to be the Phoenix. Denver game, and as I was watching this, I was already pissed off by how the Knicks played, but then everyone just felt like no one was going to miss, and you had Evan Fournier just decide to light up the Boston Celtics as a revenge game, I guess. Kevin Walker was just solid. RJ Barrett played some of the best defense I've seen him ever play, especially on Tatum. Yeah. Forcing him to tough positions. Julius Randle was hitting a lot of difficult fadeaways. I think there was a bit of a worry that whether his shooting would regress. And so far, doesn't look that bad. He was 5'11 from three. And he did shoot a couple of mid-rangers that were difficult looks. So we'll have to see how much of that regresses. But overall, this team's still solid. And it's a tips team, so they're going to defend. No, they definitely will. That is one thing for sure. And it, with the offense, I mean, they're going to cobble together what they can. It helps when you have big nights like the ones you had uh, over here or last night with these guys. But you're right. It, they know their identity very well, and it's just a matter of what comes from there, you know? For, yeah, sure. for sure. Well, I got to ask, um, I mean, any other kind of big takeaways for you from the first two nights of the NBA season before we call this one a day on a route? I mean, there were just a lot of big scoring games so far, especially today. You had LaMelo. Harrison Barnes, Jalen Brown, Julius Randle, John Morant. There were just a lot of big scorers, and overall, it was just fun. The Raptors-Wizards game was kind of interesting, just because I like Scotty Barnes, and I wanted to see him play. Mm-hmm. And this team was just solid. They, they defended well, and you could obviously see that Siaka was missing, and they're missing that really go-to score yeah but this team was just solid and they played defensively and it's a nick nurse team so they're gonna they're gonna defend and they're gonna throw out really unique stuff feel was solid kuzma was solid he he actually had some great rebounds fighting through the size of toronto mm-hmm. and overall the team was solid and mattress harrell just 22 points off the bench back to his solid play it looked like right yeah, I mean and to be fair, the narrative that he didn't play well with the with the Lakers was kind of rough. He did play well with them as well. 
But when I say he's back to the side, in a bad spot. There you go. Weren't a good team for him. And that's it, exactly. It just wasn't a good fit, you know. And now he's in a spot where he can kind of have the the, the offense kind of run through him in spots, and he definitely make the most of it. He definitely is someone who is a fish around the basket and, and solid in that way. So it's definitely, again, I say definitely, but it's gonna be exciting to kind of see where he goes from here. Yeah, and just briefly on the Phoenix Denver game, I mean, early on it kind of looked like Denver was gonna let this one go just because they were getting. They were getting killed by Phoenix, especially with back cuts. Michael Porter Jr. has to figure out how to not let Mikhail Bridges just cut him over and over again. Yeah. There were so many possessions where it was just Mikhail Bridges, back cut, easy dunk. And eventually they figured out Jokic, he was a little more aggressive scoring the ball, wasn't shooting as well, but just constantly being in the post. DeAndre Ayton was shooting a couple threes which I like to see. I was a little worried what his attitude would be like. I still am. With the whole extension stuff, but he looks solid. And overall, this team just looks pretty good. Landry Shamit was solid for them off the bench. And overall, this team just looks like it's going to continue in what they did last year and be a solid team. I mean, they have the continuity. They have the talent. They have the internal development, uh, presumably, between guys like Mikel Bridges, guys like DeAndre Aiden, hopefully. Um, it remains to be seen. Um, how Aiden responds because I'm not sure, you know, long term if he's going to be as inspired, if this is something he's going to use to fuel himself to move forward, or if this is going to be something that holds him back a little bit and gives him something of a setback year. I doubt he's going to have too many three for 15 performances from Devin Booker. So that's something to look forward to as well. Um, only 12 points, four rebounds, and four assists for him on the night. But yeah, th- this Suns team will definitely be better. And again, you bring in that continuity, you bring in that, that experience from having a finals run. And you bring in the talent, I think you have yourselves a very good mix there for sure. Yeah. Yep. So going into tonight's game, she's going to run through um, who's playing and the times is all Eastern, but it's just three games, a little bit of a respite for you NBA guys to NBA guys and girls sit back, rewatch some old games, take some notes, uh, or really focus in on these matchups on at seven 30 on TNT. You have the Dallas Mavericks versus Atlanta Hawks. Do I need to mention Luka Doncic versus Trey Young, Anarud? I think we know what this is. Uh, if you ask Jason Kidd, he'll give you a very different answer. <laughs> did you hear his interview? But I, I heard, I saw it on Twitter. But explain it for the listeners. So uh, one of the reporters just asked, like, Jason, what was your, what's your plan going into for facing Trey Young? And he said. Look, it's just not Trey Young. There's a lot of guys on that team, just like our team isn't just Luka Doncic. It's the Mavs versus the Hawks. That's what the matchup is, not Luka versus Trey. Right. Exactly. I'm sure anyone listening is like, like, yeah, you're right. Sure. But it's no, such a coach answer, though. It's such a coach answer, but you're right. And that's ultimately what's going to be down to, uh, despite whatever Jason Kidd may say. And it's going to be fun. Again, Luka Doncic last year, 27 points, eight rebounds, eight assists per game. Trey Young, 25 points, three rebounds, nine assists per game. And they will do battle on TNT at 730. Eight o'clock on League Pass. It's going to be a really fun one for me. The Milwaukee Bucks versus the Miami Heat. This is the game that P.J. Tucker really wants to win. Milwaukee will be visiting Miami fresh off their beat down the Brooklyn Nets. I'm ready to see how the Heat bounce back, uh, especially with the little mini rivalry that's been brewing between those two. Andre, do you have anything that you're looking forward to between those two teams? Just see what this team does. How does Kyle Lowry look with this new team? And 
what are their lineups going to be like? I mean, my guess is that they're going to be it's, their stars are going to be Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Butler, and someone at the four and Bam. No, I have PJ Tucker, yeah. But that's kind of just or Marquise Morris offense, but defensively, it's going to be a solid team. And I want to see who ends up guarding Giannis. Is it going to be Bam? Is it going to be Tucker? Yeah, I, that's what's going to be interesting to me. I'm looking forward to seeing how they defend them. Uh, they definitely have a, a, de- a bigger team, a more defensive-minded unit. Offense is going to be – some is going to be on talent. Some is going to be tough to scrape by, but it should be fun to watch either way. It's going to be like a mud fight. I'm looking forward to it. And then last but not least at 10 o'clock on TNT, the Los Angeles Clippers will have their opener against the Golden State Warriors, who just finished being the Lakers. Uh, we know what the Warriors look like. Steph Curry had a triple-double even though he didn't have the best of shooting stats, while Jordan Poole and others for Golden State definitely came through. What are you excited to watch from the Clippers' side of things, Anarud? I just want to see how they're going to run their offense. I mean, Kawhi was such a key part of their offense, but Paul George, we've seen him before when he's the number one guy, and him just elevating scoring back in the MVP season, he had a thunder. But what do they do with Reggie Jackson? Do they start him? Do they bring him off the bench? If they're going to start him, who's being the second? Who's being the creator for the bench? How much minutes does Luke Kennard play? And overall, what is their big man rotation? Dubach is probably going to be the starter. How much does Baca play? And does Hardenstein and some of the other guys they have end up playing any minutes? Because this is it's going to be a unique team, just dealing with all the injuries they have. Oh, hundred percent. Definitely something I'm looking forward to watching is whether the Clippers come out this season with the mindset, oh, yeah, we're still competing. We're still in there. I'm sure they're competing, but like with playoff, deep playoff run aspirations, or if they are looking at this as a gap year, because you know they won't admit that, but you'll be able to see over the games with the coaching decisions, how things happen, uh, whether they have to respond to injuries or not. It should be a really fun one. I'm looking forward to that uh, as the the kicker uh, for me for the night. But that'll do it here for another edition of Roundball Ramble. Anarud, thank you, man, for hopping on and talking the games with me. Definitely appreciate you. No, thanks for having me. It's always great to talk, and hopefully I'll be back on soon. Oh, absolutely. Listen, Anarud is exclusive to Roundball Ramble. You want to get more of his content, you either have to be friends of us or you need to find us on Roundball Ramble. So definitely make sure to do that and catch Anarud there. Uh, for myself, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball tweets online hoop dash ball.com. Don't forget that Manscaped code 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. The code is Hoopball 20 H O O P B A L L 20. One more time H O O P B A L L 20 for 20% off plus free shipping. Y'all, this has been an absolute blast as always for on a rude. For myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.